0: Many organizations struggle when it comes to communicating and realizing their business strategies. Many workers don't even understand the strategies in their own company. Welcome to the North Star with William Ulrich. Find out where your organization stands, what you might be doing right, and where you can improve. Now, here's your host, William Ulrich.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm your host, William Ulrich. You're listening to the North Star feel free to contact me by email, LinkedIn, or my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. My topic today is the strategy execution, closing the loop on best practices. You can go to the North Star Radio Show page of my website to find links to reference content for this and past episodes, as well as links to on-demand report recordings of those episodes. And uh, I have all the episodes listed just for your knowledge, and they are, they are numbered, and uh, this should be episode number 27, and I'll, I'll mention that later. So before getting into my topic today, I want to let listeners know that I'm closing out this series of episodes and putting the show on hiatus for a bit. Uh, when I established the framework for the North Star, my intention was to explore aspects of end-to-end strategy execution from formulation through deployment. One of my thinkings was that people didn't have a framework, which I think is generally true. And even if they had a framework, they're skipping key parts of it. And therefore, strategy execution is underperforming at a lot of organizations. And I've gotten there reinforced over the past six months by a number of experts. I've had an incredible opportunity to interview really interesting and insightful thought leaders across a variety of fields. Expand the gamut from strategy formulation through deployment. And if you've been listening in or checking out any of the episodes, you can see the wide range of both topics and disciplines and experts that I brought to bear. Uh, interviews with people from uh, many, many countries, many backgrounds, and many skill sets. These people have included, uh, or people I've worked with in various capacities over the years. Uh, Individuals I've long admired, but only recently had a chance to meet, uh, opportunity that uh, arose because I have this show. Uh, And a number of experts who I didn't know when I started, but I connected with this year to specifically focus on a critical aspect of strategy execution. And I want to thank all the people out there who have pointed me towards these individuals. Uh, Most of them have books. In fact, I think almost everybody, uh, with a few exceptions, have uh, books out, one to many. I've ha- also had the chance to share insight from individuals who have passed on or those who have retired from public life. Now, my reasoning behind this last category is that while most of these individuals have published at least one book uh, over the course of their careers, my experience is that some of their works and their insights have been lost to the latest generation of business and IT professionals. I'm not sure how many people pick up and, and read things. And, and these people haven't passed on, but just to make a couple of notes uh, on strategy mapping, for example, from uh, Norton and Kaplan, have they picked up that book? Have you picked up Michael Porter's books? Have you picked up uh, any number of these other books? And some of them are, are widely read. Uh, some of them are less widely read, but I did want to raise the uh, profile of, of the work that they've done. Uh, and again, some of them are tired, some have passed on, but there's also a lot of active people out there. So I hope, therefore, in in some small way, that I brought some of their powerful insights to a new generation and, as we'll talk about today, hook them together through a common framework. The North Star has uh, afforded me the opportunity to connect with uh, what I'm going to say is some of the smartest and most interesting people in their respective fields, all while advancing my insights into the role of these various disciplines in end-to-end strategy execution. So in this, I consider myself extremely fortunate and equally fortunate to have had the opportunity to share these key learnings in context of a larger frame of reference with listeners of this show. And while most of the experts that I interviewed over the past six months reinforced my view that organizations by and large are ineffective at strategy execution, they also highlighted that those same organizations underperform in a lot of very specific areas. For example, three different experts, which I, I don't think any of them know each other from uh, two from the AI field one from the innovation field uh, all standouts have indicated that however well you think industries and organizations are doing in the area of artificial intelligence you're likely giving credit uh, or certainly more credit than they deserve so uh, I remember Vivek Wadwa in my first interview said uh, if you think you're behind an AI you're just reading too much into the industry hype and that's really today's foundation for leveraging and excelling AI. Uh, it's shaky. Uh, both uh, Phaedra Boinedaris and Seth Early indicated to me uh, that uh, organizations aren't really prepared or doing what they need to do to prepare, and particularly Seth, who highlighted the weaknesses in, in data that organizations have that's undermining Uh, strategy, uh, well, their efforts to insert and deploy artificial intelligence in in a lot of different ways. Uh, I'll also add that data is a foundation for much of strategy execution, and it undermines a lot of other areas as well, and and some of that will come up as we talk about that today. Uh, There were major shortcomings with how organizations are leveraging and deploying most of these disciplines, and and let me just kind of run through a short list, not the full list, but uh, innovation, organizational design, strategy formulation, program execution, work management, data management, cybersecurity, the circular economy, software design and development, and software management and software migration. And while there were good news from some of my guests, it highlighted the value business architecture delivers to corporations and mission-based enterprises. Other interviews highlighted that many organizations are clueless to the role of business architecture and that MBA programs are doing little to prepare leaders of tomorrow in the discipline and in strategy execution in general. And on this last point, I had an opportunity to interview Dr. Brian Cameron, uh, who is an associate dean at the Smeal Business College at Penn State and actually teaches a course on strategy execution and, and also in that course teaches business architecture. Uh, and he shared with us some survey results on, on some of the findings there and, and, and where, where things are lacking from other MBA programs. And that survey was done independently from uh, from Brian's organization. Uh, I'll also say that uh, some interview uh, interviews I had, uh, I think it was last month, that dealt with the role of the business architect indicates that most organizations have no idea what these individuals should be doing Which undermines the overall practice, but I'll talk a little more about business architecture uh, as we intersperse it in the conversations we're going to have today. One argument that I'm certainly willing to make is that many of these underlying issues are connected uh, to each other, yet few organizations can see that these connections because there's no central frame of reference binding them together. How many organizations out there that you work for or have worked for say, let's see where we are on a strategy execution for the work that needs to be done around this particular strategy, right? So I'm not hearing that people are using any kind of formal framework for that. So you could argue, based on my discussions, for example, that bad data underlies a lot of uh, ineffective uh, things, including AI, but also program delivery, risk management, challenges with existing software deployments, and related migrations. All of these in one way or another undermine strategy execution as well. So there's an interconnection here in terms of the weaknesses that organizations can't see, and I'm hoping to bring, bring, really bring to the table today and through my other work that I've been doing. So all of this brings me to today's episode where I'll be highlighting some best practices from strategy formulation through deployment with a specific focus on where to slot in each of these various disciplines covered over the course of the show. So for example, enterprise design will be covered as part of strategy formulation and architecting business solutions. So with that, let me get things underway. So first I wanna recap some strategy execution challenges. I laid these out in my very first show, uh, episode one, and I talked about some of the weaknesses in, in strategy execution. And I also highlighted some corresponding or parallel weaknesses in uh, program and project delivery, so the first one comes from uh, uh, the strategy implement. It's called the strategy implementation survey, and it said that only two percent of leaders are confident uh, that they will achieve eighty to one hundred percent of their strategic objectives, and that those same leaders believe that only five percent of employees have any understanding or basic understanding of the company strategy. So let me rephrase the stats there in, in more straightforward terms. Uh, people that run organizations don't think that they can achieve what they want to achieve. And they also don't think that the people who work for them have any clue about what they are trying to achieve. That, that's not a good statistics. So there's, there's little transparency. And I think that a strategy execution framework uh, could be adopted in a way that brings transparency to this particular issue. Uh, another statistic comes from PwC, a uh, strategy that works. Nine out of 10 business leaders can see they are missing major market opportunities. Now, that's a, that's a huge issue. If there's opportunities out there, and since the survey was done, the world is even picking up the pace further, uh, we don't wanna be missing out on those. Now, there's some related stats here that have to do with program and project success rates Uh, or lack thereof. And this had to do with standards groups, 25 years of software projects. Successful projects are delivered less than 70% of the time. Now, that means that the other uh, 70%, uh, so 30% successful, 29%, 30%, 70% unsuccessful or challenged. Challenged projects mean that they're delivered, but don't don't do what they're supposed to do, or somehow deliver what they promised they were going to deliver. Uh, that may be worse than failing because you think you succeeded, but now you've got something out there that's, that is problematic for the organization that you're going to have to work around. So we have to ask why these stats reflect such a challenging environment for organizations that while one point might point to lots of individual factors as my interviews have surfaced, at least a part of the issue is linked to the culture of people seeking immediate results by demanding action without clearly understanding the root cause of a given issue. It's the nature that we have as human beings. We see something wrong, in our mind, we presuppose or, or create a solution, maybe without even knowing what's causing what's wrong. And that, those, that preconceived thinking ends up meaning that senior people are then giving dictates down to the people who who are going to execute and do the work, and they may be telling them to do the wrong thing. So uh, let me kind of put this back into maybe terms that might be happening in your organization. An executive comes to you and says, we need a new database, or we need to move to the cloud, or you need to update the system so it does this. They don't tell you why, They don't tell you what you're trying to achieve. There's no business context for what they're saying. They're just dictating to you what should change from a technological basis. And I'm gonna argue based on my personal experience that over half the time, and probably a lot more, those executives have little understanding of the technology uh, that they're they're telling people to fix, change, or somehow migrate to. Uh, If you're telling me to move to the cloud I better understand what the business value of that is. If you're telling me I need to migrate off a mainframe, there better be a business reasoning behind it other than saving money on IT. My argument is if you wanna save money on IT, why don't you just close the whole thing down? Oh, we can't do that, we need the technology. Well, somewhere between closing the whole thing down and spending massive amounts of money to, uh, to, to, to save money, theoretically, and failing, uh, there, there's, a, there's, there's some reason. And I think a lot of that reason has to do with the fact that we don't have business drivers for these dictates that are being told to people. I see a lot of IT people sitting around saying, our executives told us we need to do digital transformation. All right, what does that mean? Give me a specific business objective that you want to accomplish so I can put context around that. Maybe the solution doesn't have to do with systems at all but we don't hear that. What we hear is move to the cloud, digitally transform, do these types of things. By the way, the mass move into the cloud and the next time the cloud that, that you're running on breaks down and your competitors still are up and functioning because they have their own computer systems may make you rethink some of these strategies that you're pursuing. So in episode one, I used an analogy uh, of what happens when uh, we take these sort of humanistic approaches to saying something's wrong, uh, I need it fixed. And what we're basically saying there is that if I was a patient uh, and I'm going into a doctor because I have a pain on my side, I'm gonna demand that, that he or she remove my gallbladder on the spot. I toss my money on the table, lay down and demand action. I want immediate surgery because I have this pain. Now, the doctor would talk sense into me, begin a diagnosis, do a physical exam, request some tests, narrow the scope of the root cause, maybe engage specialists, and recommend a course of action, which may involve medication, therapy, or even removal of the aforementioned organ. Fortunately, doctors have a process, but they also have a code of ethics. Now, I'm not saying that business leaders are not ethical. What I would argue is that they are largely uninformed as to the impacts of jumping to solutions without clear objectives, a clearly articulated scope, and an understanding of the end-state vision or solution that you're trying to achieve. Business leaders have been conditioned for a variety of reasons to act like the patient demanding removal of their gallbladder. And I think it's time to reverse that thinking, and that is a reversal of culture. There's no one thing or another that's going to fix that. You can introduce business architecture into an organization, and they can still act this way. In fact, many business architects I talk to lament because by the time they get involved, decisions were made, actions were taken, they were already, things were already on the move, funding was already established, scope was already determined. And guess what? All of it was wrong. And if they raise that, then they're being disloyal or they're not being team players. And that's what we've heard from people who were out there in the field. So why? Because jumping from a, a problem directly into a preconceived solution that treats the symptoms without understanding the root cause just to save time is more often than not fraught with risk, high cost, and elongated timeframes. Assuming that the effort does not fail entirely. So I encourage business leaders to take a step back, diagnose the root cause of an issue, formulate clear objectives to address it, determine scope through formal impact analysis, and design a solution that has a high probability of success. And maybe some of the statistics I've been citing here early on can start to reverse themselves. Those of us working in the field of business transformation call it slowing down to speed up. That's gonna bring us to our first break. You're listening to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing strategy execution, closing the loop on best practices, and we'll be right back after a quick break.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six-, seven-, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at VoiceAMBusiness. Again, that's at VoiceAMBusiness. And stay current. Looking to enhance your business architecture skills, become a certified business architect, or align your team to a common approach? Check out Business Architecture Associates. Industry pioneers and co founders Wendy Keene and William Ulrich have trained thousands of business professionals, turning beginners into practitioners and practitioners into experts. BAA offers in house and public business architecture training for individuals and organizations, with more than 20 courses to choose from, including the Business Architecture Boot Camp. Popular mini course series and custom workshops. BAA can create a learning path for you and your organization. Why learn from the rest when you can learn from the best? Check out BAA's course offerings at businessarchitectureassociates.com.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to Ulrich at com. That's Ulrich at com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich.
1: And we are discussing strategy execution, closing the loop on best practices. Uh, Thanks for joining me again today. Uh, One more quick note for listeners. In episode 17 from September 20th, I did a show called Seven Deadly Patterns Leading to Strategy Execution Blues. A link to the related webinar is on my website on the radio show page. Uh, And there's content references under there as well. So, if you check out the actual webinar uh, that there, where there's a link, it begins at uh, the 5.50 mark of the video uh, due to the intro. That episode addressed the seven tendencies or actions that can doom effective delivery of business strategies. So, check it out uh, as well as the webinar. And uh, there's a bit of noise out there and hopefully you're not hearing that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, with that, I wanna go ahead and do the uh, framework recap of my strategy execution framework. It's not my framework, it's from the Business Architecture Guild, but I wanna make sure we're all on the same page uh, with with the recap of this. So uh, the strategy execution represents an organization's perspective on establishing and achieving its goals and objectives, and is generally viewed through a five-stage framework. Uh, this framework and the interviews to that, to that point in time that I've done have given rise to envisioning where the seven anti-patterns emerged that undermine strategy execution. Again, as outlined in episode 17. So I'll be using that same framework today to envision where specific best practices fit. So first, let me recap the five-stage strategy execution framework that can be used by any organization of any size. You could be small, you could be medium, or you could be large. You could be the United Nations, you could be a not-for-profit, or you could be uh, a large bank out of, out of the Netherlands. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, a government institution, for example, could use this just as well as a corporation. It's a means of visualizing and explaining what it takes to successfully execute one or more business strategies. So let me run to the stages just quickly, and then we'll get back to those and, and, and do a deep dive into each one. So first, thing is to establish your strategy, goals and objectives. It's called established business strategy. And that's where we establish our goals and objectives. And many things come into play there, right? So that's where we would go in and say, uh, there's a pain and uh, we need to set some objectives like uh, the pain should stop and any residual effects should be resolved. Stage two, coming out of stage one is where we assess the impacts. It's called Assess Business Impacts. And the business ecosystem impacts uh, uh, from the strategy would be reviewed and the formal way to do that is using business architecture. And I'll get into that a little bit more. But if I tie it back to the medical example, I'm really doing a holistic view. I'm not just looking at the pain point because oftentimes where issues occur are different points than where they have been uh, initiated. They're oftentimes elsewhere in the organization, another part of the organization. They may be upstream. If you're in technology and you're working with one set of technologies, they could be in a different set of technologies. So if you don't zoom back and look on the related, look at the related impacts, which by the way, business architecture is largely designed for, because it's the ecosystem-wide view, you're not really seeing the full picture. And there are IT assessment impacts in this stage as well. So first we establish the business strategy, and then we assess the business impacts, and then we wanna see where we wanna go. What's the future look like? That's called architecting the business solution. We're looking at future state designs, future state architectures, and the end state. In the medical example, right, what do we want to achieve? Well, one is we want the pain to be gone. And anything that's related to the pain, we want to make sure is addressed and resolved. Uh, it could be something totally unrelated. That's why we have uh, people doing diagnostics. That's why we, we do the x-rays. That's why we do the uh, testing. That's why we do all the other kinds of things we do, engage specialists. All of that applies to strategy execution, just like it would in the medical situation. Now we want to establish our initiative plans. Uh, these are our well sculpted well-articulated programs, projects, and investments that we want to make. In the medical example, here is where the resolution is laid out. So it may be any number of things, right? So we may say, okay, we're going to schedule you for a surgery. Uh, And then after that, we're going to do these things. So now we've defined the scope and what exactly we want to do, and we have a plan for that. And then finally, in the fifth stage, we want to deploy the solution. And this results uh, in many times technical, but not always technical types of, of resolutions that are going on. We could be doing systems work, but we could also be de- doing organizational changes, or in some situations it might be a merger or an acquisition, right? Why did we do those? Why, do, why did we lay out the plans? What was our future state? We, go, we could go through all this framework on a, on a merger or acquisition strategy as well, right? So in the medical example, that would be uh, surgery, a rehab, medication, and a plan going forward uh, to set up an exercise program for somebody uh, to get resolved. Uh, maybe, maybe some rehab exercises you keep doing. So in short, the framework, which works for the medical example as well as our strategy execution example, is used to formulate strategy, assess impacts, envision an improved future state uh, and scope, and well, scope the well, well-launched, well-defined initiatives, uh, such as programs and projects, and then deploy solutions. And uh, deploy solutions, by the way, is where the heavy lifting is done. But most of what can go wrong, and I'll talk about this later, much of what can go wrong uh, with a failed strategies or failed programs and projects can happen upstream. We make huge, huge investments in this deploy solution phase. Uh, look at all the money if your organization is using Scaled, Agile, or SAFE. Look at all the money that you've put into that. That's only stage five. You probably haven't invested necessarily, or you may have, but you may not have invested in stages one, two, three, four. Well, by the time it gets to the team uh, that's supposed to do the work that's doing that's focused on the Agile deployments, the the project may have been scoped, misdiagnosed, if, if diagnosed at all. And, and the solution may be poorly designed or targeted. So you could end up with yourself in a, in a serious situation, and you don't even know it as you proceed down the path of trying to execute. All right, with that, let me do some deep dives into each of these stages. I'm going to start with stage one, established strategy. And what I want to do here is talk about uh, both the uh, best practices, which I'll summarize at the end of each stage, as well as where the different pieces fit in or fit together. So, first with established strategy, I want to start with innovation. Uh, that, that's really a, a, a key area where we want to make sure innovation's involved. Now, it's not the only place, but it's important. So, as I cited my, my, in my innovate, innovation uh, interview with Vivek Wadhwa, and that was my second episode. Uh, innovation is something that comes from every corner of the enterprise. And ideally, ideas feed strategy formulation. This way, good ideas are introduced at the onset of planning. And I think one important thing here is depending on what you want to call it, and I've used the word crowdsourcing ideas, uh, innovation uh, can come up from any point in the organization and you need to have a culture that allows that to happen. And that's going to be some of your best input into your strategic plans. It shouldn't just be top-down because the top-down executives don't see all the things that the rest of the people in the organization see. Uh, Next is how is my organization designed and do I need to make any changes to that uh, to address any of our business challenges? And the, there may be issues that, that uh, at least can feed into the conversation. And my interview with uh, Stephen Hickel, who wrote the uh, Creating a Sense and Respond organization, uh, centered on aligning the organization away from silos that undermines uh, strategy execution. Now, siloing can occur at the strategy level. We may only say, I want to do this for this division or group without understanding the cross impacts. It's that siloed thinking that not only undermines strategy execution, but strategy setting. So if we only think in silos, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. So there's no better place to start incorporating a broader perspective of the organization uh, than in in the established strategy stage. If you want to focus on the circular economy because you've been told in one way or another, or it's come down from the board, uh, that you want to focus on sustainability. uh, Well, based on my discussions with uh, Walter Stahill in in, uh, one of my episodes on circular economy, you should incorporate that into your strategic planning right up front uh, and set your strategic goals around uh, the sustainability. And Walter's book on circular economy and our discussion we had, uh, and there's also a paper I wrote on interpreting uh, the goals of circular economy using business architecture, can provide you some direction. So incorporate sustainability at this level of conversation. Another thing that, that was uh, highlighted by uh, Sim Siegel and Jim Gilligan was on enterprise risk management. It should start at the strategic planning level, not as an afterthought. It should be done holistically, not in silos. And and they both, in my interview with them on enterprise risk management, highlighted the fact of the criticality of that. I also talked to James Smith about improving corporate earnings through crowdsourcing. And that's again, having your innovation come up from the bottom, right? And this, this effort doesn't require major investments in technology or other types of things. It's the power of crowdsourcing ideas. And then of course, there's dynamic strategy setting as laid out by James Creelman, strategic planner who, would play, who uh, plays a major role in strategy formulation. Now, James highlighted that uh, strategies should be dynamically reevaluated and revised to address the dynamic environment most organizations face. So, as you exit this stage, you should have, at a minimum, well-formed business objectives that are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-constrained. We call those SMART objectives. Uh, courses of action that tie back to those objectives and key performance indicators that tell you, oh, I succeeded, I've achieved. Now, best practices, have a framework, Uh, create objectives, not mandates, capture input from the rank and file, call it crowdsourcing if you like, think holistically, engage risk management early, and verify that the objectives are smart. Stage two, assess business impacts. Strategy impact analysis requires more rigor than organizations have typically applied, assuming that they didn't jump directly past that stage at overall. Strategy impact analysis centers on business architecture, a formal, rigorous view of the ecosystem. The topic was covered in a couple interviews. Kelly Eckmeyer of PNC Bank and Teresa Garcia Holm of Wells Fargo talked about uh, the role of business architecture and strategy and explained that business architecture is a strategy, strategy enabler. I also talked about it uh, with uh, Wendy Keene in her episode uh, where we talked about mission-based organizations in that interview. So all strategies should be examined from multiple perspectives. Uh, Stakeholder impact, which includes customer, uh, the perspective in which they receive value. uh, In business architecture, we call those value streams. The impact on what the organization does uh, and how we can improve that, those are called capabilities. On information, on our products we offer and our overall ecosystem perspective across the board. The business architecture provides this impact assessment perspective in formal ecosystem-wide terms. It's a formal discipline. It is rigorous. It has formal principles that allows lots of execution. Uh, um, you can use it for, for many, many different things. How you use it is really up to you, right? It's not built ad hoc. It's available on demand for every plan or issue. So it should be in place. It's a long-standing, robust representation of the business ecosystem that is based on formal principles and input from a cross-section of the business community. It's not an IT thing, repeat. Business architecture is not an IT thing. If you think it is, you're thinking incorrectly. It's a business perspective. And if you start to think about using business architecture and you start to use it more broadly, it will cause cultural rethinking. One of the reasons is probably pushed back on from a number of people in a lot of organizations because it does force a shift in cultural thinking. It forces you to think holistically. It forces you to think uh, it, it, from a big picture planning perspective. Its power, uh, shared by Kelly and Teresa in those interviews, is significant, but the longer-term impact it will have on how you view change and transformation can be very profound. The other interview I wanted to mention with Wendy Keene, which I did mention earlier, Uh, that had to do with mission-based organizations, include nonprofits, uh, NGOs, even the UN. So business architecture is a formal view of the business ecosystem. Uh, We can extend it to the IT architecture and start to use it to highlight what impacts on the IT architecture. So coming out of this stage, stage two, an organization would have uh, clarity of impacts of a strategy on business units, stakeholders, value perspectives, capabilities, information, and products. So, best practices uh, leverage uh, an established principle business architecture that represents your business ecosystem. View change through business architecture lens, including the IT architecture impacts, and formalize impacts and share them widely. Stage three: architect the business solution. This opens up the conversation to lots of different things. Uh, this is where design, business designers, or enterprise designers, architects, risk managers, innovators. Organizational designers, migration specialists, uh, and even the quick win teams, which I talked about in my last episode. Milan Gunther, in my interview with him, talked about enterprise design. It, you engage design thinking here. Uh, so that's when you can bring in the really open up, open up the, the covers and start to think about things in ways you may not have thought about them before. Risk management, how do we make sure that's covered? That should be addressed in here. We leverage business architecture to look at the impact, but we can also use it to look at the what-if perspectives. Uh, From an IT standpoint, we want to get the data, solution, enterprise, and transformation architects involved, and the business architects can provide overall insights. AI specialists can get involved here. Uh, I said the data architects, if we want to re-envision how we access and change information. Solution architects can start to craft a solution architecture document And transformation architects can plot a realistic, not a wing and a prayer, but a realistic migration path. On best practices, ensure that the uh, consideration is incorporated from innovators, enterprise designers, risk managers, and various business and IT architects, uh, based on the size and scope of the work involved and its impact on technology, this third stage, should also produce a formal data and solution architecture as well as a business architecture frame target state perspective. That is necessary and essential to going into our next stage, which is where we establish our initiative plans. Again, we call this slowing down the speed up. If you do these types of things, you're dramatically increasing the success you're gonna have in strategy execution and program and project execution. So we'll pick up on the, the last couple of stages uh, when we come back uh, from our break. I'm William Ulrich. You're listening to The North Star. We're discussing strategy execution, closing the loop on best practices, and we'll be right back after a short break.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Your organization is spending seven, eight, or even nine figures annually on transformation programs. And you're questioning the bottom line business value You were told not to worry. We've engaged the best system integrators, and they said all is well. Has your IT organization become a black box where money goes in, but nothing comes out? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich has seen every side of this story, from upfront happy talk to painful post-mortems. Find out what's really going on. Visit tacticalstrategygroup.com and ask about TSG's Transformation Oversight Service. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to WMMUlrich at com. That's WMMUlrich at com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich.
1: Welcome back to the show. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing strategy execution, closing the loop on best practices. So I want to pick up here. We we just came through the first three stages of strategy execution with formulation, impact assessment, and then uh, envisioning and architecting for the future. Stage four is where we establish our initiative plans. Uh, usually, this is even jumped through, oftentimes, we say, I want to do this, here's some money, go start a project. Uh, my interview with Jim Johnson of Standish Group highlighted a number of shortfalls that programs and projects have suffered, is, and it was cited on, on the episode in my interview with Jim, uh, and basically over the past 25 years, as statistically captured by Standish Group, uh, the stats have remained pretty pretty consistent and pretty problematic uh, un- less than 70% of projects are successful. Uh, much of what happens, at least in my opinion, in uh, causing strategy execution and programs and projects to stumble happens in stages one through four. And it can go wrong here as well, where you're setting scope. Initiative uh, scope setting is so critical because if we set the scope too, li- too narrow or too large, um we we don't know what where where it's going to end or what's what's going to happen now people say with agile i don't need to do this anymore you still need to know scope you can't just wander aimlessly it's like laying a railroad track and say well we just keep putting one you know one tie after the other well you can do that and maybe you're supposed to build a railroad track to los angeles and you end up in seattle and neither of those uh you know that's that's not a good thing so first and foremost the state should have a clear understanding of the business and technology impacts out of stage two and what the target state looks like out of stage three. So it's really critical to know what am I trying to achieve, uh, the options on how to get there, and and understand the overall impact analysis so I can frame the overall program. And I may break it down into multiple projects and those are gonna be broken down into a series of phases. And and ultimately they'll be uh, broken down if you're using Agile into individual sprints. But all of that needs to be framed at a much more strategic and architecturally robust level. Uh, So the work performed at this stage, we discussed this a little bit with Kelly and Teresa in their interview, uh, must ensure that overlapping conflicting uh, projects and projects that have no traceability back to business strategy have been Uh, uh, you know, they have to either be retooled, reconsolidated or consolidated or dropped. Now, I know there's a lot of politics driving uh, program and project definition and funding. Uh, I know it's probably one of the most political areas and one of the most siloed areas you have in your organization. That's why I say ready people, if you're introducing uh, strategy execution and business architecture into your organization, it is going to force a cultural shift. They may said that's people may say that's not for us, but it's going to save you a whole lot of time and effort and heartburn, right? Because implementing business architecture from the back end, or from the bottom up, or from some corner of the enterprise where it has no recognition, no longer makes any sense. Uh, you're going to have to tell people that there is going to be a cultural shift here. The best practice coming out of here: focus on uh, delivering clearly sculpted, achievable investments. Integrated, overlapping, and related projects, uh, make sure that they're tied together and adjust accordingly. Uh, Include the ability to pool or otherwise streamline investment funding based on the overlap highlighted in prior stages. In no case should any program or project come out of this stage that is not clearly scoped and it does not have direct traceability back to business strategy. Stage five, strategy execution. And this is, uh, or strategy deployment rather. Uh, strategy deployment is where uh, the work gets done, the heavy lifting. Uh, There's a lot of investment at this stage. There's been a lot of advancements at this stage. Uh, Think of all the methodologies and practices that have been introduced. Uh, We've got the Scaled Agile Framework or SAFE. We've got DevOps for continuous uh, development delivery, uh, solution delivery by IT. Uh, There's so many other things that have happened at this stage. Uh, We've put a lot of people in here. But the irony of the situation, again, as I said earlier, is that many investments that are poorly sculpted or lack an impact assessment or clear target are already doomed before they get here. So all the money you've poured into deployment uh, is essentially wasted because uh, you haven't done the upfront work in stages one, two, three, four, the strategy execution framework. Developers and business analysts cannot address a poorly articulated strategy, lack of poor design, ineffective or non-existent architecture, and the other elements that are required to successfully deploy business strategies. Yet organizations attempt to do that just every day and pay the price with failed projects and even greater loss in customer satisfaction, risk, and regulatory compliance, competitiveness, and, and, and other areas. And if you don't think that the rank and file will understand this, uh, I do a lot of workshops and talk to a lot of people and when I always ask them, uh, how many of your projects have been uh, under deliver late or just failed and canceled? And um, people say, well, that pretty much describes every project I've ever worked on in my 25 year career. Right? So what should you do? Well, first ensure that business and IT architecture scope is clear before starting up the project. A lack of clarity is a key reason for initiatives failing and under delivering. If you're a business architect working at this level and they skip prior stages, highlight the scope issues. They may not listen to you to the first time or the second time or the third time, but if they keep failing and you keep highlighting the weaknesses in in their approach, ultimately uh, what's going to happen is hopefully they'll start to see some reason. Uh, There are other other things that can occur, of course, right? Uh, As appropriate, engage quick win teams. I talked about this in episode 26. It was my last episode. Uh, You can listen to that. I don't need to go into all the details on it. Uh, but it's special deployment teams that can start to work at changing and transforming at the peripheral. Uh, I recommend listening to episode 26 if you want to hear more about the quick win teams. Uh, Sure that all your business requirements use consistent vocabulary as defined by the business architecture. Uh, Regardless of whether they're epics or user stories or other representations that you use for requirements definition, make sure that they're using a consistent vocabulary and business perspective out of the business architecture. You can also and should also re-envision how you define work in my interview with Keith Swenson and Dana Coy uh, they uh, recommend a state-based event-driven rule-dependent approach to defining work versus traditional BPM models which are prescriptive and don't work well for knowledge workers they also don't BPM models also don't have a direct lineage to business architecture while a state-based, event-based, rule-based approach to work to definition not only has a direct lineage to architecture, but can also be implemented by your development teams more effectively. And Darius, Darius Blasband in episode 19 also said, don't fall victim to software recipes. When the software recipes, um, you know, you can enter anything you want, but let's put Agile in there, uh, or methods, right? When, when those methods or practices become a greater focus in delivering software with the intent on creating uh, you know, rep- recipes, accommodate limitations of development teams, instead of dealing with the development team weaknesses or the weaknesses of developers or the weaknesses in development environments, right, you're focusing on recipes to fix the problem. You can't build good software without good people. So he said, hire good people. Uh, you can create an agile environment that works well, right? but you've got to have good people building the software because at the end of the day, whatever you do up front doesn't work if you don't have good people building good software. Uh, By the way, uh, we want to make the business architecture available to everybody. One recommendation I have, if you have adopted business architecture and you do use uh, SAFE or Scaled Agile, is to consider using the business architecture value streams in place of the SAFE value streams. They're more holistic, Uh, They certainly give you a better end-to-end perspective on engaging customers and other stakeholders, and they are not siloed. And whether they're meant to be or not, in practice, most safe value streams that I've seen are highly siloed, either around business areas, systems, or both. Uh, Adhere to standards. Uh, We talked about cyber standards and cybersecurity with Janana Kampara in episode 20. We also talked about standards in general before that with Richard Soli and, and Steve Nunn. Leverage them. Software design, as discussed in my interview with with Charles Bowman, should also be business-driven and leverage a business architecture. Uh, He he provided some real insights, and he said that the way software is being designed today is still not ideal. And he sees a lot of it out there in the field. Every software service should be traceable to a capability, providing a better ability to deliver systems that are more scalable, interoperable, and reusable over time. So what are the best practices coming out of this, this stage? well ensure that requirements uh, work definitions and software services have direct traceability to the business architecture everybody needs to be using that formal perspective and framework and vocabulary ensure that every participant in this stage has access to business strategies uh, and and again the architecture involved there shouldn't be anybody working on a project that doesn't know what strategy they're deploying and, and that deals with that statistic up front, where most, most executives don't think most people know what their strategies are. Uh, focus on high-quality development teams versus leaning on software recipes to fix them. Don't undertake ill-advised migration. Stop repeating the state, mistakes of the past. You will keep failing. And we did a couple of different shows uh, with Kevin Studley from IBM and, and Don Estes, uh, uh, on migration, he's a, he's a global migration expert, he's been in the field for many, many, many years, I've known Don a long time. And a lot of them fail, and it's because they're ill-advised, ill-advised and they're listening to too many uh, people who are telling them that they're easy to do and they're gonna solve all their problems, right? So in retrospect, look at strategy execution framework, um, episode one that I talked about, uh, use a framework implement one and use it for context. So uh, with that, um, I wanna wrap up a a few of the uh, pieces here in the loose ends. So um, my overall recommendation here, coming out of all the episodes that that we've covered so far, and I think it'll be clear, particularly if you picked up on episode one and and carried it through, and maybe you skip one because you're not interested in a circular economy, or maybe you skip one because you didn't think you were interested in redefining work, Or maybe you skipped another one because nobody's doing anything with ai in your organization Uh, but but the bottom line is that i'm i was bring my goal was to bring all these things together under a common end-to-end perspective a common strategy execution framework if you don't have one and you take nothing else away from either this show my first show uh the one in the seven deadly patterns or the overall series in general it's get a framework put something in place and think about things in formal ways and start to think about things holistically, which also means starting to put together a business architecture. It may not be recognized today that you need that business architecture, but at some point, it's going to become extremely useful. And at that point, you don't want to be caught off guard. They're fairly quick to put together. Uh, reason being is that there's reference models out there, so you can go get those. The Business Architecture Guild has a whole slew of them for different industries. So I'd like to recommend that you, uh, you think about both using business architecture, and if you want to know more, go back and listen to the one on uh, the, the interview I did with, um, with Kelly and Teresa, which I've mentioned previously in the show. So um, I want to wrap up with just a few words here. Uh, as you know, I'm William Ulrich, and you've been listening to the North Star And we've been talking about strategy execution and closing the loop on best practices. Uh, I want to encourage you to go to my North Star radio show page at tacticalstrategygroup.com. That page does have a a listing of all the episodes by number. Uh, This is episode 27. It also has links to different materials uh, that we've covered uh, for each episode. So you can look up a lot of what I've been talking about. You want to see some of my stats, you can go there and find them. You want to see where I'm drawing some information. You want to get some really good books on different topics uh, and, and different papers and other types of things. Go to those topics and click on some of those resources that I posted up there. Uh, if you've got questions or want to discuss any uh, of the things I have covered today or in previous episodes, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, by email, or my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. As I said in my opening today, this is my last episode. I plan to take a hiatus. I'm going to be working on a major writing project, and I hope to bring more information and more insights back to that at some point in the future, and hopefully uh, in the context of this show again at some point. Uh, What I'd like to say is that, um, other than the hiatus, is it's been my honor to host this show and to be able to deliver what I believe are important industry messages to you Um, And it's been a real honor to have all of these different guests on uh, that have spoken to me about all of these different topics. And I I will say that I'm hoping my guests have learned some things. I'm hoping that I I know that I have learned some things and I'm hoping most importantly, that all my listeners have picked up on a lot of insights that they can take back and start to use. So, as I said, uh, I hope to share more about my major writing project that I've got coming up uh, in next year, uh, as we go into 2022. I do hope to be back with you uh, sometime in the future, but in the meantime, continue working to maximize your strategy execution efforts in all you do. And of course, I wish that you will uh, stay healthy. Uh, I wanna thank you all for listening and taking time to, uh, to tune into the North Star. And I hope to see all of you, or at least to uh, hear from all of you in the future. And, and hopefully you'll be hearing from me again uh, in the not too distant future. So so thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And I'm William Ulrich. This has been the North Star. And uh, stay, stay healthy out there. And we'll talk to you all soon.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to the North Star. Please join host William Ulrich for another edition of the program next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll continue our discussion on strategy execution then.